I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Gene, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hi, everybody. My guest today has had quite the journey. She was misdiagnosed for decades, and now she shares the same diagnosis with her two young boys. They were all born with an extremely rare disease called Janssen's metaphysial chondrodysplasia. With this disease, the body loses its ability to form bone properly. You end up having to do numerous surgeries to correct the bones and then recorrect them again after they bend back. It's not easy to diagnose, and this family has three cases. They're so incredible. The love between these brothers melts my heart. There's a couple videos on their website that you have to check out. She moved her family from Dubai to America to get the help they needed for this disease. There are currently some miracles happening with a clinical trial for Janssen's. Her two beautiful sons are in the middle of traveling back and forth for surgeries right now, and my heart has been sore watching everything this family has been going through. It's also amazing and touching at the same time. They're dealing with so much stress and physical pain, and yet there's also this resilience and hope and time for a joke here and there. It's incredible to witness. She's a huge advocate and has created the Janssen's Foundation and is working with doctors and researchers to help get a cure or a treatment for this disease. She's working tirelessly to give hope to so many in the rare disease community. Here's my conversation with Nina Nazar. Hi, Nina. Hey, hi. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for being my guest today. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on your show. My pleasure. I can't wait to learn more about you. I found you on Twitter, which I'm pretty new to. And everyone who I started to follow followed you. And you know how it is. The <laughs> rare disease community is so small sometimes. Right. And so interconnected. Yes. Yeah. Well, you struck me pretty much immediately. I mean, I'm always in awe of parents and caregivers who are like these super impactful advocates just right out of the gate. And I love to learn about your stories and how you got there. So you have a condition called Janssen's syndrome or Janssen's disease. Right. But you didn't know what it was called for a long time. Right. For 32 years. For 32 years. Right. Before I got married and before I had children, before my life totally changed, I was born and raised in Dubai in the Middle East. And I had absolutely no idea what I had. I was born in the 80s. And this was really a time when there was no Google and there really weren't any experts, to, so to speak of. There was no such thing as rare diseases on the radar at the time, even though there were many around. So I was actually misdiagnosed several times as a child uh, and growing up from polio to rickets to all sorts of other you know, bizarre names. And so it was just a real crazy time growing up. So this was really life in the 80s uh, in a sandy deserts of Dubai. And so it was really hard for my parents to know what was wrong with me. 
they did know that I did not have any of the you know, so-called diagnoses that we were being given, but just lacking the information, we didn't really know what else it could be. So it was a, it was a struggle. It really was. I mean, they say knowledge is power, and it's really true. Just not knowing and really just going by whatever the doctors in the room said we had to do, that's really what we did. Wow. It sounds like your parents are actually a lot like you and they never gave up. I love the story about your dad just carrying you to school because that's just the way that life was. Yes, I I tell the story quite a lot just because, you know, it's seared in my mind so much. Just uh, it speaks to me at several levels right now as an advocate for my own children. You know, it speaks to the inequality that uh, people with disabilities, um, you know, when in places like the Middle East, you know, at times uh, when there were uh, no other options and the perseverance of parents and the resilience of parents to see their children through to succeed in, um, in a sort of quote unquote normal world. So... Yes, my father did carry me up the stairs. My classroom was upstairs on the second floor. And after every surgery, he would carry me up the stairs to my classroom. My brothers would carry my bags to school, you know, and they were always shouted at for doing so. And it's a funny thing because, uh, you know, she has to learn independence. She needs to carry her own bag. Well, guess what? I'm 40-something years old and I still have someone carrying my bag. So it's not the end of the world. Um, (laughs) So I think that understanding of disability has changed so much for me uh, as an advocate, as someone, as a parent with children with disabilities, and just as someone who went through times that were very, very unjust. I think some certain points in my history or my life have have really molded me into uh, being the stronger advocate for my children, but also realizing when to pull back. You know, you can't change everything, but, you know, there are certain things you can change. And so you've really got to pick your battles. And I think uh, that's important. Absolutely. Yeah. And your experience as someone with a disability, also the same one as your kids, it's such a gift that you're able to give them the perspective that you have on the matter. That's interesting. I feel like it's a double-edged sword. And I spoke about this before a little bit, but I don't know how much people understand about how it is a double-edged sword. One is, yes, I have the, the real empathy for my children because I've been through a similar situation. You know, I've been through so many surgeries as a child. I spent a lot of time in hospital. I've seen doctors all around the world as a child. I have to really understand that my children are not me and I am not them. And I need to be able to understand that as I parent, some of the reactions that my boys have to situations are not always reactions that I would have had as a child. And I have to keep constantly reminding myself that they are their own individuals. And even though they both share the same condition as myself as I do, they are experiencing things in a different world, in a different environment, and their reactions are different. So I have to respect that and I have to learn to understand that and try not to impose myself or my character on them, but really allow them to blossom as individuals and also to see them as two distinct beings between themselves as well like you know I cannot keep saying well your brother did this really well you should be able to do it or you know he didn't cry you shouldn't be crying and so you know it's a hard thing 
It's really complex. <laughs> it is. It's very nuanced and it's uh, quite complicated. There are no easy answers to this. It's not because I have the disease, it's much easier for me to parent them. I don't think so. I think it's kind of harder in many ways and easier because I know certain times what to expect. The bottom line is we don't have a treatment for them. And we really are in the same boat as I was 30 years ago. So these are some of these hard realities that I have to accept, face, and learn from, and then also change. It's set a fire under you for sure. Yeah, so pretty hard, pretty hard, hard road. Yeah, no matter what, with disability, with rare disease or without, kids have a separate experience no matter what in, you know, their family life and how they grow up. Right. So, yeah, that just adds so many more pieces to the puzzle. Right. There, it's, there's so many layers. Right now we have 10 people with, with Jensen's metaphysical chondrodysplasia around the world. We have two, two adults and the rest are all uh, children. And among all the children, their experiences are different. And the phenotypes are different. So, you know, we, we have to stop comparing, even within our own disease, our children. So I think that's, um, that's something really hard to do. It's a, it's a large spectrum, right, with all of these rare diseases. Right. And I think the tendency is to compare your kids to each other within the rare disease community that you, are, you belong to. And especially when milestones are different and experiences are different, it's very hard. It is. Yeah. So um, that's something, you know, you're constantly aware of. And I think through education and, and awareness of your rare disease, I think it becomes a little, at least a little clearer. I wouldn't say easier. It's just the steps are a little clearer to take. I know for me, I see exactly what you said on social media. I see the other kids who share the same gene mutation as my son and some are doing this and some are doing that. And, you know, in the very beginning, I would it would kind of take my breath away when I would wonder why my son wasn't doing the same things. And like you said, I had to I had to pretty much let go of that pretty quickly to realize that everyone was on their own path, even in this really small little world. Right. Exactly. Even though their gene is exactly the same. So it's it's quite an interesting thing. So you didn't find out that you had Janssen's until you had your sons and everybody had a genetic test. Mm-hmm. Right. Why hadn't the doctors suggested that you get a genetic test once you were an adult and they were available? It's kind of interesting. So what happened was I lived with the, these misdiagnoses uh, because at the time I had never thought I would get married or have children of my own. It never really came into question. You know, even as I was growing up and having all those surgeries 30 years ago, there was a no step that anyone suggested genetic testing or even though I was tested in California in 86, they, did, they couldn't find anything. It just still came back as undiagnosed. And at that point, we knew that it wasn't all this list of other things we had. So here I was really not thinking about getting married. And I did end up meeting my husband online and he was here in Nebraska when I was in Dubai and you know we when we started talking together it was really nothing romantic at all it was really a cultural sharing kind of experience and um, you know he was interested in Dubai and life in Dubai because he was studying kind of world cultures and and so it was just very strange that you know after talking for I think over a year he had said that he would be visiting Dubai and I said okay and (laughs) And, and, you know, at that point, I was really terrified.
terrified. Uh, I was terrified of being in a relationship or even thinking that I was in a relationship. Um, I think you're just full of self-doubt all the time because you have a disability. Especially when they're telling you that it's never going to happen. Right. And so, you know, we're programmed that way, right? You're programmed to think that uh, married life is not for you and uh, that it would be complicated. And so when he did come down to Dubai, you know, we just sort of, I mean, it was just, it was like I had known him forever. And, um, you know, he was never put off by um, my physical limitations or how I looked. I don't think that ever crossed his mind. And so, uh, you know, we went out for coffee and, um, you know, I was so nervous. And I think I've written about this in, somewhere, but I was so nervous. I, I, I dropped coffee all over him and, <laughs> you know, and he was wearing this really nice white shirt and it was all dirty <laughs> because of me. And I was like, oh, my God, um, you know, just really. And, you know, that was I'd never been out with anyone before. And that was like the first time and it was kind of all very nerve-wracking and you know and I don't know what to tell you but you know two weeks later we were married oh, I love that love at first sight is a real thing I believe it <laughs> I well I don't know whether it was love at first sight I just think that we were after the same things uh, you know he was so adamant and um in supporting everything I was doing I was part of a special needs group in Dubai. We were trying to promote people with disabilities and, um, you know, work to give them access to the community. And, and he just liked and enjoyed everything I did. And so he wanted to be a part of that. And I think that's where we all, where we both connected. And then two years later, you know, when we were thinking about starting a family and we knew we had this condition. And so we went to see a doctor at the time. And the doctor had said to us that you're never going to have children. And so we were like, okay, it was brutal. But, you know, even at that point, she, no one knew what we had. We were tested and we still didn't know what we had. And I'll explain this a little later why that was. And so we were actually in the process of adoption, you know, getting all the paperwork together for adopting because we knew we wanted a family, you know, and then I was pregnant and I was like, what? So it was like to the doctor and I was like, you said I couldn't get pregnant, but here I am and I'm pregnant. And they said to me, well, you're not going to be able to carry that baby to term. And I was like, again, pretty shocking, pretty terrifying. But we were very adamant that we would see it through. And all along, you know, the pregnancy was absolutely normal. We had no indication that the baby had any abnormalities or that the baby was affected in any way. He was nine pounds when he was born, Arshan. Whoa. Yeah. And, you know, when we named him Arshan, it's Persian for a strong man, strong, brave man. And even at the time, we never realized, you know, what the word, what the name actually meant. We just liked the name. And so... Really, for one and a half years, we enjoyed him. He was the biggest baby born in the ward that day. He had no indication of any disease. His Avcar scores were great. Everything was fine. He was nothing like me, which was my sign of, you know, hey, he's fine. Um, I was a very sick child. I didn't meet any milestones. I was in the hospital for a long time. He didn't have any of that. I mean, he was thriving. So really, you know, and all the time you go to the doctor, you're just like, are you sure he's okay? Are you sure he's okay? And finally, I remember a doctor just telling me, you've got to stop this. And you've just got to go home and enjoy your child. And I was like, you know what? You're probably right. And so, I laid my fears to rest and I really did enjoy him uh, for that time and I enjoyed parenting and I enjoyed being a mom and then you know two years later 
I was pregnant again and I was like oh my god this is like the doctors were wrong <laughs> so <laughs> so during that pregnancy it was about four and a half months into the pregnancy when I realized that you know my older son started showing signs you know his feet were turning inwards and he was having trouble walking and then you know I was like oh god you know he has what I have I'm pretty sure of it but again what do I have like how do I help him and then it was at that point the doctors came back and told us that he has all this calcium in his blood and all this phosphate is high and all these metabolic things that I never really had. And so it really threw me for a loop. So I go back to my records and I didn't have many records at the time, you know, because in the 80s, they don't give you anything and there's nothing online. You can't go find your stuff. Sure. So I had one x-ray. I had few scribbles on pieces of paper, things my father had written down on the side notes and things. And I kind of pieced it all together. And then at that time, they had told me that Jahan wasn't showing like he had so much calcium in his body. And I was really thrown and I quit my job and and I spent the next few months just searching for information. And, you know, things had changed so much. There was so much more information online. But even then, uh, after sending all my records and all my baby's records to, you know, all the skeletal units across the world in different places, they all came back and said they have no idea what I have or what the babies have or anything. And so we were at a loss you know, how do you help them? I, I knew that they had something th similar to what I had, but I had no idea what. And I didn't know what all these metabolic readings meant. Because I, you know, I sure I had all the orthopedic surgeries, but I never had any other metabolic kind of situation. And, you know, John was born with stage one kidney uh, issues. And so he had the full brunt. And I was like, what are you talking about kidney issues? What are you, I mean, what is all this? And so... It really was a puzzle that we had to piece together bit by bit with no help whatsoever. And it was just, you know, after hundreds of doctors and hundreds of appointments with geneticists and this and that, and no one really knew and knew what I had or what they had. We finally, my father, I, I, I had flown back to India at the time because that's where my parents were. That's where I had both my children because my parents were there and I had support. And I remember telling my dad, I, I really don't care what they have at this point. I'm, I'm done. I'm done trying to find out. I'm just going to take them back to Dubai and I'm going to love on them and they're going to be fine because I'm fine, you know. And I survived and I not only did I survive, I thrived. I did really well for myself. I'm working. I'm, I'm taking care of myself. I'm not dependent on anyone. I, and they should be fine too. And at that point, my father suggested that I go see one more doctor, this one last doctor. And I did. And so we drove seven hours and we waited in the waiting room for five and a half hours. And then we walk into the room and she was a pediatric geneticist. And she takes one look at the x-rays and she says, I think I know what you have. Nina, that's incredible. You know, and I'm standing there, you know, eight and a half. I think I was eight months pregnant at the time with this little boy in my hand and my parents with me. And, you know, we're all just crying and crying and crying. And I'm like, you know, part of me is like, no, this is this is a dream. This is not real. She's fooling me. She's totally, you know, she's totally <laughs> she totally doesn't know what she's talking about. But she did. I mean, she had she had been in Germany and she had been to a skeletal dysplasia class and her professor had shown the class one slide of a Janssen's patient and told the class that we're going to skip this slide because you're never going to come across a patient 
But she remembered the slide and she remembered what it looked like. And when she saw our x-rays, she just put two and two together. And it was like, oh my gosh. yeah, it always gives me goosebumps talking about it. But it's the truth. We were just at the right place at the right time 32 years later. Yeah. And your dad just never giving up. Exactly. Also, (laughs) even at a time where you thought that maybe you would just go along this way, he still had one more shot. I know. One more shot, right? One more shot. That's always his motto is like, one more try. And so she contacted her professor and told him, you know, I don't have one, but I have three patients. Our blood was sent off for genetic analysis at the time, and we came back as positive for Jensen's disease. And, you know, we got the result in less than three days. Whoa. They were so excited. Yeah. And at the time we got our diagnosis, we didn't know anyone else in the world with it. You know, and they said that there were only 30 patients worldwide since the discovery of the disease. I mean, it was just so incredible that we found our our condition. So, of course, you know, you go online and then you read up and then there were a few articles that we were able to access that spoke about the disease. And it had Dr. Harold Jupiner's name on it. And he was a researcher out here in Boston, Harvard, Boston Mass General. And then we just knew, you know, we just knew we had to move stateside to find him and to learn more about this. Because at that point when I'm reading, I'm like, you know, all these patients develop kidney issues. Many of them don't live to adulthood. There can be kidney failure. There can be a long prognosis of dialysis and things like that. And then I realized that, you know, our life in Dubai was over. So we packed up and moved stateside. That takes a lot of guts. Yeah, well, we knew. We, you know, we flew back to Dubai. We'd never really talked about it. You know, my husband gave in his resignation as soon as we landed. And, you know, he moved back to state, uh, to, uh, to Nebraska. And um, I put in all my paperwork to come here. Uh, and we joined him two years later. Wow. By then, my kids were, um, you know, in such a bad state. They needed to have surgical intervention. They were in pain. Their legs were like you know, really in the shape of an S at the time. They couldn't really walk very well. And so we had a series of surgeries um, in 2015. And then um, as they were, you know, in surgery, you know, um, I was I was trying to find Dr. Jupiner. And I was trying to find this doctor so that we could touch base with him. And, you know, it so happened that when we did meet him in 2016, the beginning of 2016, it was during Rare Disease Day at the NIH in D.C., You know, he had been researching this condition for about 20 years, but never had never met a patient. And uh, so he meets me. And then, you know, a few months later, he meets my sons. And then, you know, I talk to him and he, of course, he's the one who diagnosed us because he actually got our blood. And he knew that somewhere in the Middle East, there was this mother and two children. (laughs) And, and he had been trying to locate us and trying to find us, oh into, you know, uh, because he was just so interested in us. And, you know, he had registry of all the patients. And so and then the following year, we set up the Jensen's Foundation and we visited his lab. And then we realized, you know, he, they had done so much work in this area and it was all sitting there just on the shelf. And <laughs> because they didn't have any patients. Yes, they didn't have a patient. They didn't have anyone driving it or any need for developing it to move it out of the lab and into the patient. There was no need. So here we were. And I said, 
to him and his team, you know, we got to move this off the shelf. Like, yeah. we've got to get this into the children. And they had a treatment option. And so we set up the foundation in 2017. And that's what we've been doing is supporting their research. And we're so blessed at, you know, the speed in which we've got everything done and uh, the funding that we received. And very recently, we received funding from the NIH through an intramural grant. And, you know, we've got the translational portion being looked at. And so they're doing the toxicology study right now. And we do think we'll be in trial this year. Wow. It's crazy to me how fast you've got this thing moving. It's really incredible. We are just so fortunate to just have an amazing scientific team. They're the best in endocrinology. And really, they're just phenomenal human beings. And I think that's the killer combo, Um, just great science and great people. Yeah, caring about a rare disease that nobody knows about, that doesn't have any funding, that doesn't have any notoriety, and they're just working away trying to figure it out. Right. And, And, you know, it's incredible. And I think that our story really is... Is that, I mean, it gives so much hope to people who feel that their disease is not significant enough or, you know, diseases that are not picked up by pharmacology, I mean, pharmaceutical companies, that there's no hope to bring about a treatment. But here we are showing that there are ways in which we can do it. Yeah. And one in 30. Are all 30 of the Janssen's patients in the patient research? So um, so there are 30 people across the world since the, since the time of the disease's uh, discovery. So right now we have only 10. Okay, 10. Yeah. So there are 10 people right now with this disease. And we're hoping that all of them, all the children uh, will be in the trial. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. Yes, it, it really is. It's, it's quite an incredible thing. So tell me about all of the stuff that you've implemented back home. This is the interesting thing. So one of the reasons why I never was diagnosed is because I'm actually mosaic for my condition. So I'm one of the very few patients in in the medical uh, history that didn't present phenotype or didn't present with the same usual symptoms of Janssen's. So the, you know, high calcium and the high phosphate. So I don't have all that. Wow. So I'm just, you know, very unique in that way. So it's just very different. And so it's hard to explain like why, but uh, they don't know really just the way my uh, gene manifested or just the way the disease manifested in me. Um, is very atypical. It's not at all like the others. And so that's why doctors never were able to diagnose it because you need to be able to, first off, read the x-ray to see that it's Janssen's and then to have the metabolic conditions be out of whack to be able to make a confirmed diagnosis. And I just didn't have all that. So my puzzle never really fit together. And I guess that's why I was never diagnosed. And, you know, now on hindsight, I I would be thinking, you know, um, had I been diagnosed, I probably would never have had children. Um, I would never be on this path and we wouldn't be where we are. And so in a way, I'm thankful for for this path because I'm able to make an impact uh, in our community, in our disease area, and, uh, you know, all of these new patients that have been diagnosed or we have found through setting up our foundation, they're able to get support from us. They're able to rely on us in terms of information. And, you know, otherwise, 
you know, where would they be or what would happen to them? So I think there's everything happens for a reason. And so, you know, this is my reason. It is. And I think you, I mean, you took it and you're such a force and it's really amazing what you've done with it. And I just think there's so many people in our rare disease community who are so lucky to have you as a voice. Yeah, I'm really glad. I, I think our our community is really powerful. Um, they're very well connected. And I think together we can really make some great strides in this community. And, you know, interestingly, some of the things that we are doing for our disease will will have impact on, you know, osteoporosis, osteoarthritis, uh, you know, chronic kidney conditions. So there's far reaching consequences of the work we're doing. It's, it's been really interesting. And I, and I think that the NIH sees that and that's one of the reasons why we got the support that we did at the right time. Mm, yeah. Because a lot of the bigger health issues totally correlate with you. And so why not work together and bring in all that knowledge? Right. Wow. What advice would you have to the parents who have kids who are not hitting their milestones yet, who don't have a diagnosis yet, and who don't really know where to go to from there? That's a hard one because I've been in that spot uh, not knowing don't give up. I mean, even even if it's going to take you 32 years, you will eventually get there. And with that knowledge, you know, everything will transform overnight. Um, and you can make up for that lost time. The undiagnosed center at the NIH is, again, very helpful. You know, we never I never had any of these when, when I was looking for treatments. I never knew about the NIH. I didn't know about so many places that I could go to get information. You know, I feel that there is so many resources out there now that are willing to help you. So it's really a matter of perseverance. You know, we have whole genome sequencing now. We have advocates pushing for prenatal screening, all sorts of things that are happening that is going to make the road a little easier for, you know, new mothers coming along or new parents coming along into this area. So I think, you know, just not giving up is really the biggest one. I mean, just that one more try, you know, and sometimes it can be really exhausting, but, you know, and document everything. Like when I was searching for stuff, I didn't have anything to go on. I literally pieced together parts of my past that were non-existent in terms of medical records and things. So here we have the ability to ask for our medical records, to to make copies of it. And, you know, now I will go into, you know, the examination room with my son and I will make sure to take pictures, um, you know, off the computer if they're not going to burn a CD for me. I make sure to take pictures of them, them changing, of, of metabolic results. You know, everything I document, I date, I document. So I think that's something you have to do because at some point, you will find an answer. And all of this information then will make a lot of sense. Hmm, that's a really important tip to keep all that information. Yes, yes, definitely. And if at some point you are pursuing a treatment option, all of that becomes part of a natural history study. Uh, it becomes part of valuable data that can become potential endpoints for your outcomes of your treatment. So, I mean, just keeping that in mind, you know, to go about it uh, in a very, very careful, strategic manner, I think is very important. Mm, yes. When you're faced with some of life's most difficult challenges like this in rare disease, and you choose to rise up and take it as an opportunity for change, it's so powerful and it's so inspiring, Nina. And I think you're amazing. And we're so lucky to have you. Thank you so much. What are your future goals in the next five years with the Janssen's Foundation? Our preclinical data is showing 
some really amazing results from this drug. So basically with the Janssen's disease, what happens is the PTH receptor, the parathyroid hormone receptor is turned on all the time. And so we lose bone faster than we can make it. So what happens is the research team has developed a sort of inverse agonist. It's kind of like a peptide that will go into the body and and shut this receptor off. And so the good thing is like it's really worked. And so we have good data to show its efficacy. And um, so now we're just looking at safety. So really our goal is to get all the kids in the trial this year. If not, all the kids um, at least start with me as an adult to make sure that it's safe. And then by the beginning of um, next year, you know, to have the kiddos in in trial. And uh, our real goal is to be able to um, treat this disease to reduce the um, number of surgical interventions, the factors that really significantly bring pain to their lives. And it's very debilitating. And um, to also to stop their kidneys from going into, you know, a sort of dialysis or a shutdown. So prolong life in a productive manner is really our goal. And then really to to consolidate all our lessons that we have learned from this journey to help other rare disease patient groups and uh, to share our findings and to give hope to others. I think the next few years are going to be really interesting because what we learn from this is really a blueprint for other people to, you know, pick up on and, and, and say, hey, you know, there's not one, only one way of going about developing a drug, a new drug. So to be able to sort of shake up that status quo a little bit that, you know, we we need a huge pharma, we need to fundraise all this money. You know, there are grants and there are opportunities out there that we can uh, avail of. And so um, just another option, just another option. And so we're also looking to, you know, share this with other groups and probably even partner with them into creating a bigger network where we can see accelerate treatments and have more hope, really. Yes, I can't wait to share everything about what you've done with just my CT and NB1 family and friends. I think that it's going to be really valuable information, even just to figure out how how to, you know, climb the ladder of where to get in and who to talk to. Right. I think, you know, just keep asking questions and, and, you know, and, and just know that like when I started in 2015, you know, I started talking to pharma companies and one of the first things that they told me was, you know, oh, you know, your disease isn't really impactful or it's not significant enough. And so, you know, usually that will really deter you. And I was very upset by that initially. But now, I mean, when people talk to me like that, I'm just like, "Mm, well, you know, I'm just going to find somebody else to talk to. (laughs) Move (laughs) on. Yeah, you're definitely not on my friend list. So, (laughs) so, um, you know, you just have to uh, find your A-team, you know, people who do believe in you and are not motivated singularly by a profit. So, uh, and there are good people out there. Yes. I'm not saying all pharma is bad. So there's been wonderful people out there. I think uh, in our journey, we are very fortunate to have had such great inspirational characters or people that have helped us and reached out to us. And, you know, Amicus has been one of them. And, I, you know, I met with John Crawley and he has such a great program that helps other organizations come and understand the whole process of drug development. So I think it's been, you know, once we help one another to, um, you know, be lifted, I think that's really very important. And 
And those lessons are, you know, priceless. Yes. Well, and it says a lot about how far you've come so quickly by just, you know, it's your passion. It's your passion as a mom. It's your passion as a patient. And it's coming from a unique perspective and a unique place. And you can tell. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you're so cool. Well, thank you. Well, your family is so adorable, and I'm really looking forward to following the journey of the research that the Janssen's Foundation is helping pioneer. Absolutely. You can uh, follow us on Facebook, and we our website's there, um, and we're on LinkedIn and Twitter. So, yeah, and we're always open to collaborate and talk anything through. Being um, a caregiver, a parent, as well as a patient and, you know, the leader of the foundation, I do have sort of a unique perspective. You definitely do. I'll connect all those links in the show notes for sure so everyone can find you. That's excellent. Thank you so much. All right. Much. Is there anything else that you'd like to share or let anyone know, Nina? I think we touched upon a lot of it. I think that, um, you know, it, it's a hard place to be when given such a diagnosis. But, you, you know, you can choose to something positive out of it. And, and I know that's not always possible. And you just have to keep trying, I guess, to s- try to see some sunshine in what's happening. I know it's not always easy, but surround yourself with people who lift you up. Uh, I think that's also very important. Totally agree. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me today, Nina. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.